Oh, hey, 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 uh, there's some little problems at the beginning. Yeah, I got the button pushed. All right, hey, it's me, Jake. It's episode, I'm pretty positive that this is episode 196. Wow. Oftentimes, I don't know what number episode it is, but I'm pretty sure it is. And this week, my guest is uh, Caitlin Bailey. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for, for having me in your in your lovely home and... You know, meeting you last night, it was great. We've been we've been having some great chats. We just met at the Blind Barber Show, which I this was the second time I've done it, and uh, it's good. Oh, so this is the beginning of the podcast. So sometimes this is a part where you're you, you as the guest are not here, but oh. this time you're here because I, well, the reason is because this way it all goes into the machine at one time, and it's easier and faster, and then I don't have to do the other second step, which takes longer. So this is a time. Now I'm gonna, I like to play a little music. You know, do you want uh, broadcast news or the Olympic medal ceremony to go underneath our? Uh, plugs. I think broadcast news. I yeah, think this I, is bre- breaking news kind of stuff. It's pretty nice. I think yeah. you're going to be happy I mean, if we only choice. performed every four years, then fine, but this is more of a like breaking news moment. Right. So, look, first of all, let's talk about something that I think you've missed, you people listening. I haven't missed it yet because I haven't done it yet, but special thanks to everybody who came out and saw me um, this coming weekend in Denver at the Comedy Works, March 2nd through 4th. That happened. It's over. Um, and now... Yes, this, now the theme music is playing. So, Minneapolis, Minnesota, I'm going there March 8th through 11th at Acme Comedy Club. And then March 12th, this is the big Southern tour. This is, I've, I've not done one of these one night in a row things. So, Charlotte, North Carolina, March 13th at the Comedy Zone, Atlanta, Georgia, March or that was March 12th. I've already screwed this up. <laughs> March 13th, Atlanta, Georgia, the punchline. Birmingham, Alabama, March 14th at the Stardome. Huntsville, Alabama, March 15th at Stand Up Live. And Nashville, Tennessee, March 16th at uh, Zanies. That's, that's great. Now, where are you going? Well, I'm from the South, and I'm, I'm oh, taking good. the Cake Comedy Tour, which is Carrie Gravenson, Abby Crutchfield, Caitlin Bailey, that's me, and Aaron Judge, our initial spell cake. Uh, it's nice. Thank you. We're going on a tour from Boston to Atlanta. Um, we're debuting at the Women in Comedy Festival April 21st in Boston. Uh, then we're going to be at the Good Good Comedy Theater in Philly uh, on April 24th. Then we're going to be at the DC Draft House April 25th. And we're hoping to get to Pittsburgh April 27th. But hoping to. Well, we've teamed up with Kickstarter. So the way that this tour works is that we are pre-selling tickets for our upcoming tour. And if we sell enough tickets, then we come to your town and we book a venue and we do the whole thing. And if we don't, then we don't. So we're right now we're pre-selling tickets for Pittsburgh. We've already funded D.C. and Philly uh, and Boston. As so you did the other two shows yeah. that way? Well, well, yes. Well, they're coming up, but we're, we've already pre-sold tickets for them. So we didn't book a venue until we pre-sold enough tickets to make it worth our while. I want to talk more about how to do that because yeah. that's exactly what I want to learn how to do. It's fucking great and exhausting and frustrating and also uh, economically Makes way more sense. And do the people who, so you've committed to a date and you but just don't a have a venue. Yes. So it's, you know, it's like when you buy your Kickstarter ticket, yep. the theme music is over now. So oh, I'm cool. assuming that you plugged your plugs, but I can start uh, yeah, it back I mean, up. Go to cakecomedy.com and see what we're funding. Cakecomedy.com. Cake comedy, like slice of cake or piece of cake. Or I get cake. it. Yeah. And there's a band called Cake, but Everyone it's not that. Cake. No, it's not that. It's not that. Everyone likes cake. You don't get to just own cake. Everyone likes cake, but this is a good, just to start off, uh-huh. uh, this is kind of the good, good getting to know you question. Cake or pie? Uh, cake. 
Really? Has it always been cake, or are you just saying that because of the tour? I'm not just saying that because of the tour. I've never understood pie. If I wanted fruit, I would just eat that. There's, you're not going to do anything to a raspberry that makes it better. Just give me a raspberry. Don't, like, guzzy it up with butter and crust and all sorts of shit that makes it not a health food. I don't, like, I don't like putting fruit on my dessert. I'm a chocolate, vanilla, custard person, you know? I'm not a, like, lemon anything. Tough talk right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I'm, know, I'm taking a stand. A lot of people don't go hard with the fuck pie, but uh, you did. And I, I respect it because I have to say, I have historically been a big pie person and I, and I didn't understand cake. Really? How do you not understand cake? Well, it's my argument. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's an argument against cake because mm-hmm. I, I do. I definitely see the light of cake now, but uh, I feel like my argument about cake was similar to your argument about pie, which is bread is already great. Right, yeah. And, you know, frosting is like candy. It sounds like you're eating the wrong kinds of cake. I understand. I, I am also anti... You're like a cake doctor. Bread cake. Well, I or mean... Or a cake therapist. I, look, I just feel like you're not... People have said this to me about pie, and then they've fed me their bullshit pie, and I've just uh-huh. been like, oh, this is pie, but with, like, nuts, which is, like, marginally better, but I'd rather... Like pecan pie. Yeah. Pecan pie is, yeah, that's a different kind of pie. It's a different kind of pie, but it's still nuts, which are good. What about your key lime pies? Gross. It's yeah. fucking gross. I, it's, it's gross. Well, you could argue that it's close to cheesecake, but that's a different category altogether. That's I'm, not cake or pie. I'm also not pie. a fan of cheesecake. It's I, not cake or pie. I it's also think. not cheese. It's not cheese. It's not cake. It's... It is cheese, though. It's got a lot it of cheese, cheese in it. There's okay. a lot of right. cheese Well, then in never mind. I thought I was going to make a fun, like, oh, it's not holy, it's not Roman, it's not an empire. Like one of those like, old yeah. history professor jokes. No, I like it. I know <laughs> Kennedy, and you're no Kennedy. Um, so my, if I was going to try and get someone, sell someone, I just feel like the right pie for me is mm-hmm. not too super sweet. But I get what you're saying. Fruit is, fruit is awesome. Yeah. Fruit's good. Although I, I don't think I could become a fruitarian. No. Have you heard of that? Yes. Fruitarian, yeah, I'm not. I feel like the fruitarians and the vegans and the, I mean, like, I went through a vegan phase uh, when I was in, when I was 15, I was trying to impress a boy, but, like, mm. I just, I, like, we, I don't know, it feels like the, like, the breastfeeding people, like, just eat food and stop moralizing what we do with our body. Like, you're not, if you just eat clean your life's not going to improve as much as you think it is. Like, it's not... Use a little common sense. Yeah. Just put food in your body and try not to put food in your body that makes you feel like bullshit. And and there's no need to turn it into a Mm quasi-religion. Just go find a religion or something. But I feel like people who are trying to, like, mystify or, like, ritualize... Well, there's the ultra-health people who are going vegetarian or fruitarian. And then there's the, I don't want to kill an animal people. Yeah. And then, and then there's some other, there's some save the, save the planet. I feel like we can't all eat as much meat as some people are eating or we're going to run out of earth. Yeah. Well, I mean, until World War III happens and we have the population by like, you know. World War III. Look, I like the idea. I feel like right now more than ever, I put some money on World War III, but when I break it down and I do not want to leave this whole cake pie argument. Okay. All right. Yeah. We got to get back to the real issues. Um, but when I break it down, you know, between World War III, you know, zombie apocalypse isn't going to happen. But it, 
I put in that category the Ebola or, or some mm-hmm. kind of weird disease outbreak. That's just the, I feel like that's the Earth's immune system that's trying to to get us to get our numbers down a little bit. You yeah. know. So there's that, or there's the self created virus in terms of like the financial crisis from two thousand eight. Like we we make some kind of mathematical economic thing that destroys us. I think us. World War III is going to start as a trade war and end in a war war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the cyber? What about what about mm-hmm. what about Fight Club? <laughs> Fight Club? Well, in Fight Club, it's easy to forget because you know once you realize that Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. Spoiler alert: Are the same person. If you haven't seen that by now, get up. Yeah, get, get you out. need to. It yeah. doesn't really wreck it, but <laughs> it, it smokes some pot and forget what I just said and watch mm-hmm. it again, or smoke some pot and watch it again. Yeah. But in Fight Club, what they're trying to do is uh, destroy all the credit card companies mm-hmm. and, the, and erase all the debt. And <laughs> and so if something like that happened, like all at once, all the money that everybody has in the bank disappeared goes to goes to zero. Yeah, and it's like okay, Bitcoin you, takes over, and you got to have an argument with. Some entity about whether or not you own your house. Yeah, you got to have an argument with some other entity about how you're going to pay for your electric bill or right. whether you owe them for. I mean, that kind of chaos. We've had we've had massive reversals and dismantlings of systems. Like we've had uh, debt slavery revolts where um, peasants from all kinds of different cultures have sort of risen up against unsustainable mm-hmm. debt. Um, we've like we've we've seen this before. Like it's not. Right. unimaginable that we do a different economic system in the future. And in the interim, a lot of people are going to die because that's how systems change. Well, yeah, some kind of, some kind of collapse. So but, but yeah. what I'm talking about is I would bet more, much more on debt slavery revolt or mm-hmm. some cyber accident or terrorist act that collapses us rather than just... When, I, when you said World War III, I just pictured old school... You know, bombs right, yeah. and, and crossing like, each the, other's path. We're, it's a limitation of imagination that we always picture the last war. You know, like that's mm-hmm. why I I was actually making this argument way back when Hillary Clinton was running. I was like, Hillary Clinton is building a war machine <laughs> way back for then. the last war. Way back then. Way back then. Way back in World War Two, <coughs> when she when she started putting her committees together, mm-hmm. I was like, Hillary Clinton is building a war machine for the last war. And I think that that's that I mean, that's how empires fall. Right? Is that they they are super prepared. For a kind of warfare that's no longer happening, it's just yes. a huge expense. Yes. But it's um, common. That's what you do. That's, yeah, that's, that's what you do. Like, what are you going to do? Not you got have people bombs in Iraq wearing jungle and, boots from Vietnam. Exactly yeah. right. And we have people who are throwing missiles at us from World War II who are actually that are actually more dependable than the fancy schmancy shit that we have now because their computer system gets sand in it or whatever. Whereas if you have like a grenade thrower from World War II, if you can. You could make that function with a screwdriver. Well, or you hook up one of those uh, remote-controlled doorbells to a, you know, yeah. milk carton full of gasoline. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but um, that's insurgency tech. I'm not trying to radicalize. Are you trying to radicalize me? I'm not trying to radicalize you. I will tell you that if we go to war with China, it's going to be a radically different kind of... Like, we've been at war for a decade, but we've been bombing people in deserts with, like, camels and shit. Like... If we go to war with another superpower, whether it's, uh, I, th- I think it's going to be China. And the reason I think it's going to be China is because I think that we're seeing the inevitable social demographic uh, shift that is a result of the one-child policy. My, my thesis is this. The number of women who are willing to murder their infant baby girl in order to make room for a baby boy 
is statistically smaller than the number of women who are willing to abort a female fetus to make room for a male fetus. So when the technology for self-selective abortion became widely available in China, we're starting to see a real demographic shift where there are like actually a pretty significant chunk of unpartnerable, unmarriageable men because that's the demographic reality in China. Right. I thought and, at first I thought you were talking you were just talking about how how they've co-opted ladies into mm, eliminating mm, ladies, which mm, is which it has happened. Yes, absolutely fine. But sure. but the real problem is too many dudes too who many aren't dudes. getting laid. Right, because when that happens in a culture, they become more violent. That we we've, mm-hmm. we've seen it over and over and over again. I would argue that the reason that we fought the first crusades is because there were too many dudes who couldn't get married. And so the Pope was like, kill the Muslims, stop binge right. drinking in our towns. And if you don't think this affects you, listener, get ready for there never to be another American champion of the UFC. <laughs> because there's going to be all, all these I, I Asian guys. Yeah, it's, who, it's like you see these Russian guys who just are yes. ready to fight because they got nothing better. Yeah, to because do. their stakes are higher. Yeah, yeah, they're fighting for their lives. Um, but I... I don't know what the next war looks like, but I, I, uh, I think it's gonna. I think people are gonna die. I don't think that we're. I don't think we're over that. You think people are gonna die? Yeah, I feel like that's a safe. Of, that's a pretty safe bet. Right. Yeah. Now, whether it's because they're starving to death, or diseaseified to death, or being bombed, or like there are a lot of ways to die. Well, and the, and I feel like the the Chinese are pretty crafty. If I, I, you know, I feel like they're already playing. We're we're trying to get them into some kind of street fight and they're already beating us at some kind of chess go game that we don't even realize they're playing. There's a great line in my best friend's favorite television show that I've never seen that she repeats back to me all the time that I love. What's the show? I don't know. Um, (laughs) But it's, I don't know, but it's some, some like Chinese diplomat is speaking to some American spy or something. And he says very like haughtily, uh, if we wanted to go to war with the U.S., we wouldn't bomb you. We'd repossess. Yeah, they yeah. own the we, we they own all of our debt. Yeah, but we could just default. We could default. We could default on that. Well, it's also with fiat currency at this point, I think the only thing backing up our currency is our fucking military right now. Well, it's trust. It's trust. The the main thing is trust. But right, if they but wanted to, if they wanted you. to yeah. collect, and it gets. Devalue, you know, we just uh-huh. go, we're just going to inflate that so sure. that all your debt is worth worthless. this jug. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're making the jar of pennies. Yeah. But unfortunately, that would also wipe out all of our wealth. Yes. As well. Boy, I felt so much safer when we were on the cake pie. All right. Well, I, I like cake. I'm a huge pound cake fan. I think angel food cake is bullshit. It's just I'm a, glad to hear you say that. At first, I thought you were going to say that it was going to the queen of all the basic no, cakes no. because angel food cake is—it's just—it's just a, it's a is frosting, sugary bread. It's sugary bread. It's but it's worse. It's like a sugary croissant bread. It's just—it's—it's it's like puffed air. It's a—it's a frosting service thing. But like rum cake or coconut cake or like textured cake. Like there's some good fucking cake out there. German chocolate cake. German chocolate is cake is my favorite cake. That's great. What's your position on donuts? Donuts are dangerous, especially now. I feel like donuts, to me, at this period of my metabolism, are such a, a like, don't. Right, because pie and cake are events. You're well, having and pie, pie and cake, you can have a small piece of pie or cake, but if you just eat one donut, you're like... That's a lot. Forget it. Yeah. You can't have dinner now. <laughs> 
But I did have a donut. I was over at my neighbor's uh, a couple days ago, and he had a friend who brought over donuts, and they had some donut holes, which is donut hole. It's the you can have a mm-hmm. hole, you can have an entire hole, yes, and you still don't feel like you went too nuts. It's like a bite and a half of donut. So yeah, I like yeah. donuts, but I'm I'm more of a I'm more of the cakey kind of donuts than uh-huh. I am the the Krispy Kreme donuts. Those are great, mm-hmm. but those aren't. That's not my favorite well, donut. First of all, fuck you for shitting on Krispy Kreme. Uh, that's I'm from the South, and that's a thing that we're proud of. And we fuck do me well. for what? Krispy Kreme. It's the. I didn't the, say they were bad. I just said they're my second favorite kind of sure. donut. You're talking about the light, fluffy, airy, yeah, puff donuts. I understand that. But I'm not bad mouthing. I like the crawlers, the crawlers, mm-hmm. and I like the like the chocolate, the dense. I like the ones that feel like they have some heft to them. I don't like mm-hmm. the ones that weighty. Yeah, I like, weighty weighty, donuts. I like weighty donuts. Weighty, textured donuts. Do you like a lot of glaze or frosting or sprinkles? Depends on... Uh, sprinkles? No, I'm not a child. Um, no. It's, they, taste, they, taste like, <laughs> they taste like waxy pellets. Yeah, no, I don't like sprinkles either, but it's interesting that you just went right to like, hey, did you just call me a child? Right, yeah. I didn't, that's yeah, not yeah. what I meant. I meant some people <laughs> like sprinkles, you know? <laughs> So, all right. So I feel like we're at the bottom of cake and pie, and yeah. I and I'm I'm like I said, we're I both feel like I'm in a, I'm in a I'm in a transition period of my life right now mm-hmm. where I may be switching from pie to cake, because also now I don't really feel like this is a kind of cake that I completely understand. Red velvet cake, right? Is it just regular cake that's dyed red, or there's some more flavor there's to some it? It's not just flavor. psychological. It's not just psychological. No, it's not. It's it's. It's not like M&M's, it's more like jelly beans. Like, the colors mean something. And, and red velvet cake also has a kind of a silky texture to the cake. The cake is more moist like silt in it. Yeah. Like silky, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so those are my German chocolate cake and red velvet cake. Those are my favorite cakes. How do you feel about carrot cake? Uh, I do like carrot cake. I feel like the buttercream frosting is, can be too much. Okay. Like I need I need the right amount I need the right amount of cake to frosting balance on my carrot cake. I this I used to think that this was something that I developed as an adult, but then I recently my parents told me I was I was always been doing it. I wipe off the frosting from on carrot cake, cake? cakes on all cakes cake, cakes and cupcakes. I I tend to I wipe it off. I leave a thin layer. And that's fine. And then I leave a pile of frosting. Which you don't eat. That I don't eat, yeah. Because my daughter sometimes will wipe the frosting off and I think she's doing what you say you mm. do. But then she'll go back and eat the eat frosting. Eat the frosting, yeah. That's... Because she just wants a, the two different... She wants them and separated. And is she just anxious that like the food's going to go away? Like, Did she have a horrific childhood? Like, Was she in an orphanage for a period of time? Where as she far feels as like I she can tell, her childhood has been pretty great. But that's how you feel about your own kid. Yeah, of Like course. when you have a kid, you feel like, we're I wish nailing I, it. I wish I had parents that were as great as I am. <laughs> you know, not, hey, mom, sorry if you're listening. But I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm doing, well, I think both of us would agree I'm doing better than dad. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't listen to the podcast, I'm pretty sure. But that was, joke, dad, that was a joke, dad. That was a joke. Dad doesn't know what a podcast is. Your dad doesn't? No idea. Oh, yeah. My parents sort of do. But I, yeah, it's hard. I think a lot of people don't. I think podcasts haven't really found their their audience yet. I mean, there's certainly so many comedians who are doing podcasts. Yes. I, I, podcasting, it's such an intimate art form. You know, people are listening to it 
on their headphones. They're like involved in what amounts to sort of like a private conversation. They're getting a really authentic slice of like who we are um, as people. So like it, it, it's just different. Like this is separate from like the stand up or movie making yes. or something. Like it's a it's more intimate. And so I think that um, you know people that 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 love podcasts love podcasts. You know whether like. They're like Legion of Skanks fans or Guys We Fucked fans. Oh, Guys We fans. Fucked. Somebody told me about Guys We Fucked and I started listening to that. <laughs> Those girls, are, <coughs> I think I'm, it's okay if I call it, say girls. Yeah, Those women, they're so funny. They, yeah, they're fantastic. I can't wait to meet them. I, they're Christina Hutchinson and Corinne Fisher. We, came, we started together in New uh-huh. York and they're fucking fantastic. They're, yeah. like, they're good people. They're smart. I, I wanted to try it. Well, so... I, I don't know if they would know who I am, but if they do, you please tell them that I'm a fan of their podcasts, and it just cracks me up. And uh, also, I, it's, I think it's awesome what they're doing in terms of empowering yes. women, and I feel like if my daughter's a little bit older, mm-hmm. it's going to freak her the fuck out when yeah. I tell her, like, check this out. I, I swear, like, I love, I think that this is a movement like that Dan Savage started, um, that we have people who are just more open to the complexity of the human experience that I, I felt like all grow. I, I grew up in the Bible belt. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was raised with like the God's punishment for too many sexual partners is cervical cancer. Like that's what that, that's what that is. No, no mention of a pap smear, no mention of like, do we know that for sure? That's just somebody's theory, right? No, the, the science of it that they glazed over, uh, is that cervical cancer um, is the result of HPV, which mm-hmm. is, uh, or one, one of the 16 strands of HPV, which is a kind of STD that can't be prevented from, uh, with condoms. And the, the yeah. symptom okay. is you get a weird pap. Your doctor says your pap is weird. Then you have to go to the doctor more often because it might turn into cervical cancer. And mm-hmm. then just sort of like look at your cervix harder or whatever. So, yeah. Do you get the vaccination? I got the vaccination when I was 23, but I'd already been sexually active and had been doing sex work up until that point. So I have, I have whatever the kind of HPV that might lead to cervical cancer is. And my doctor's looking at it and she's Oh, you got the vaccination, but you, all, you also ha- have been exposed to the virus? Is that yeah, so I got the vaccination when I was like 22 instead of getting the vaccination when I was like 12. So and I so got it after too late. I was, it was too late. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we're having that conversation, my wife and I, about our daughter, and I think it's a thing that you definitely want to... I think it's a thing that you definitely want to do, because it's, it's about mitigating consequences, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not about, it's not a permission slip to go and have weird, wild sex. I mean, it, it might be, like, like it, it, whether well, you get... Well, yeah, but... Weird, wild sex was happening before the vaccination, like... It's a way to not die from yeah. enjoying your life. Yeah, and having... So try... Try and take advantage of as many of those as you can. Exactly. It's like, you know, you, it's the reason you wear a condom. Yeah. It's that. That was like a conversational, you just put that, you just laid that in there about, so you used to do sex work. Uh-huh. And then you just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then just go right on. But I just want people listening to know that I heard it. Sure, sure, sure. No, it's, and it's a, it's a Googleable fact about me. I've been talking about it for a couple of years now. I've got a one-on-one show on the subject. Like, I'm happy to, to go into it. It's just, it's a, it's a thing that happened and I did it and I'm fine and I'm a person and, uh, reading, <laughs> I'm a person too. That's actually a real case to be made. Like sex workers are people is like a little bit of a, 
because we don't talk about sex workers like they're people in the same way that we don't talk about junkies like they're people, or we don't talk about criminals like they're people. Well, I feel like that is your, that goes back to a little Mm -hmm. bit of what we were talking about before we turned the machine on about our ability to be compassionate to each other and to tolerate kind of differences in lifestyles or lives or, or opinions. And, um, yeah, but I think, I think there's such a, um, People have an idea when you, when someone says that they mm-hmm. were a sex worker that it was just like this awful yeah. prostitution thing. I mean, I don't Which know is, what your experience or your life was I mean, like. Not that like I've been white my whole life, so you know uh, that was it was easier to to have a really privileged experience. Um, I come from money. I did it because I was curious. I I never did uh, need based sex work, which is when I think um, like the danger happens because if you're you're stressed out about money, you're making you know, stressed out choices. And that's, I'm sure you've experienced this as a road comic when you're like desperate, 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 you end up fucking yourself harder than well, you do something that's dangerous or that, dangerous or that's or not stupid. that you, when you're, your when your have to takes over in, and your want to goes exactly. down and that's, that's when you can get in trouble. Right. That's not unique to sex work. That's just true of all, uh, economically, you know, marginalized communities. You know, if you're stressed out about money, you're stressed out about money. Well, when you hear people talk about sex work or prostitution mm-hmm. or, you know, where, it's, where there's an exchange of money for yeah. sex, which is the idea that you can even make that illegal is so sort of absurd. It's, because, really, it's just nuts. Right? Because it's, it's, legal to, it's legal for someone to say, look, hey, I'm, a, I'm producing a porn movie. Yes. And I would like to hire you to be in it. I'm the other person who's going to be in it. Yes. And uh, and then I'm going to pay you to do that. Yes. And, and it's like totally, that's, that's legal. legal. That's legal. That's right. totally okay. But then if I go, but, you know, I can't afford the film, so we're just going to rehearse. Now now it's illegal. Right. It, yeah. It's just is, it just is such a weird... That um, massage is legal, uh, ter- sexual um, healing um, is legal. Uh the, I would argue that one of the differences between prostitution and sexual therapy is intent of outcome. You know, sexual therapists want their patients to get better, and prostitutes want their clients to keep coming back. That's the that's the motivation difference, but it frequently looks the same. Huh. Well, now, what do you think is the reason that we have prostitution as being illegal? Just beyond, I mean, like a deeper philosophical reason than just, hey, yeah. religious people don't want you to. No, I think, that, I think that we've really underestimated the influence of misogyny in the last 5,000 years. I think that we went from being a goddess-worshipping people to being a war god-worshipping people, and that we've systematically and maliciously denigrated the feminine for the last 5,000 years. But then how does that, how does that turn because, into making prostitution illegal? Because, because you're denying women a source of income. A- income, agency, and sexual power. Well, that's interesting because I feel like a lot of guys... I, I, I just feel they like think, there's a lot of guys who would say like, oh, if you're saying that there's not a victim... I mean, my, my theory as to why we had prostitution was illegal is because in some twisted way we thought we were protecting right as a society we were protecting women from from this road to like you said needs based mm-hmm. bad decisions right um i'd be more sympathetic to that argument if there were fewer women who weren't having their needs met but uh we also were protecting slaves um because black people were too stupid 
to have independence. And so slavery protected them because we gave them like a task and then we mm-hmm. fed and housed them and took care of their moral upbringing by forcing them to go to church and, and whatnot. So like these arguments about we, we can rationalize anything. I'm not, I'm like, not trying to, I'm not trying to argue on behalf of having prostitution sure. be legal. I'm, I'm it's, more sympathetic to the other side. I'm only trying to say, Hey, look, there's people who are going to say, look, of course. we now you're exposed. It's like making drugs. I feel like or if we abortion. made drugs legal, we would be in a better situation mm-hmm. because yes. because then we would be addressing it as a medical, as a medical problem issue as opposed, as opposed to, to a legal like arresting people for stuff. Yeah, moralizing but, moralizing behavior it gets it gets real weird real fast. But if you look at the arguments for why people are against abortion, a lot of them are very similar to the reasons that they're against prostitution. Um, I think it stems from this idea that sex ought to have consequences for women. So you know. Uh, if you're not ready for a baby, don't fuck. You know, like that kind of argument. And then there's also the the psychological damage of having once murdered your own can will haunt you for the rest of your life. You're never going to get over that. You're never, ever going to... And so like people are like, once you've done prostitution, the psychological damage is so unovercomable that you're never going to be able to like live your life. And it's, it's interesting that we have these really different gendered expectations because we encourage men to go out in the world and experience things and like go to war. And we don't talk about soldiers as being uh, damaged beyond repair. And then it seems like the more of the world women seem, have seen, the more damaged and therefore unlovable they are. And it's like this weird difference that we want to protect our daughters from the world and we want to encourage our boys to go out there and grab it by the balls. And I think that's weird. Especially, it is weird, but there's a little bit of a through the looking glass thing going on with me listening to you because I, I feel like this this idea that oh it's it's men that are keeping prostitution Mm-mm. illegal is that just doesn't seem true to me. No, I don't. Like, I, we, it, look, I feel like guys would be down. Feminism has done a weird. Well, the thing that men did is that prostitutes, historically speaking have enjoyed access to male spaces in ways that regular women haven't. So Mm. it divides women into like the marriageable and the unmarriageable. And so long as you are unmarriageable, you can come to the library and the men's only club and the whatever. But once you've attached your value to Mm -hmm. another man's ego, you're not allowed in those spaces anymore. Yeah. I feel like that's really... To me, it feels like that's changing. I think it is changing, and I think it's interesting that we're we're starting to have the decriminalized uh, decriminalization conversation. I think it makes sense that it happens in the wake of the feminist movement and the LGBT uh, rights movement. I think to talk about sex workers as people and like a, a marginalized sexual minority makes sense. But the the other thing I wanted to say is it feels intellectually incongruous to me that we believe that prostitution is one thing, always a bad, sad horror story of an experience, and we accept that it's the world's oldest profession. I feel like those two things can't be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know that, for me, when I think about, I, I, I think that the reason in my mind that's compelling to keep it illegal is that we're, we're protecting, but then eventually it's, we're protecting such a small minority of people. Not only are you protecting a small minority, but you're not protecting those people. 
Because what happens if... Well, they get, they get arrested. If, yeah, they get arrested. They can't report abuse, right? They're in an underground, mm-hmm. informal economy. Um, and they're targeted by the police. Most prostitutes I know, um, and I know, I've, I've, I've you know, been talking about this for a long time now, I know quite a few, are much more afraid of rape and violence at the hands of the police than they are at the hands of clients. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, yeah, well, I, that makes sense because it? once it's once it's an ongoing, once yeah. you know what you're doing and you know who you're dealing with, mm-hmm. you're going to create a world where it's safe. I mean, yeah, obviously, There's a, it's an exchange. It, it's an economy. It, hopefully, it's, an, it's people are on the same footing and they're saying, this is what I would like, and there the other protocols. person is su- suggesting, this is what I would like, and they worked out it. Yeah. Deal and it's and you figure it out, you know, and you figure out boundary setting, and you f- and there's a learning curve and, and whatever it is, but like there's it's it, having something be illegal is not protecting anyone, including victims of uh, sexual slavery and minors and all kinds of stuff. Like, well, the it's the illegal, it's the illegality of it that, that enables the space. that, yeah. Where that kind of exploitation and violence can yeah it drives thrive. it underground and makes it clandestine, which That's is the same what as happened, what happens. The same thing with alcohol. It's like with what with alcohol. Like, oh, we during just, yeah, we, during just, we learned this as a country with prohibition. Well, it's amazing that that's so true, and it's amazing <laughs> that we fail to analogize that over to like what are we doing with, with the war on with drugs? Pot it's and crazy. drugs and what? Why? Why don't we just wake up? And I mean. Yeah, it's it's. And, you know, we we talk about like what it means to live in like a you know a secular liberal society and blah 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 blah. And, you know, I think that decriminalizing dumb shit that doesn't hurt anybody is a is a step. But I think that we have to really accept, especially in the light of Black Lives Matter and like all of these social movements that are happening and like the Trump administration. What if it's always been about control? What if nobody in power thought that arresting people for pot was like going to help anyone at all? What if it was just about arresting more people? Well, I I definitely accept and agree that that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. But to say that anything is all because sure. of one reason, it's it just like I that's sure. that's no, you're all right. of these things are shades of gray, and some of them are darker, and some of them are lighter. It's, and then there's little pockets where it's that's. That's some people's only reason for doing it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, it's interesting that you say that because I, I definitely I caught myself. I used to be an activist. I used to be a, um, a political organizer um, professionally. And uh, it, I, I find you that... You've a I, lot of... You're a complex... You're a good person to have <laughs> oh, on the you. show. Well, after, so what I happened? Worked, um, I burnt out. The 2010 election like just broke me physically, emotionally... I was so sleep deprived and addicted to Adderall and I had so much uh, responsibility and failed. We, when I landed in Pennsylvania, we were polling 11 points behind and we lost that senatorial race by less than 100,000 votes. Like it was just one of those like heartbreaking defeats after months and months and months of sleep deprivation. I, you know, I was 22. So like my prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. I was super stressed out. I had a staff of 106 people. So I had like a little bit of power and I was super sleep deprived and I was stuck in the black and white thinking of activists. It's a recipe to make a monster of a, of a person. Well, I became my worst self. And it's the stakes, the personal stakes. I feel like yes. when you're, when so you're younger ego. and you're kind of caught up in this, yeah. idea, this idealistic yeah. um, it's a cult. visions of the way the world should be. Because, because you're young and you get yeah, brought up as, as the world should be fair and we're yes. going to make a fairer, better yeah. 
world. And then as you get older and you realize that's not the case and you think, well, this is why I got to muscle up and take charge. Yeah. yeah, of my own life, if nothing else. And you start to be more aware of the, your spheres of influence and the limitations of that and like what you can impact and what you can't. But at 22, you don't have any of that perspective. And then you, you throw in the circumstances. I don't know if you've ever worked in campaigns, but I mean, like, it's just, it's a nutso uh, thing. Um, and I, I felt like the activism mindset and mentality is not compatible with comedian mindset and mentality. Because comedians work in shades of gray and nuance and looking at things from different perspectives. And activism, activists come from a position of like, I'm right and you are wrong. And yeah, yeah. I'm willing to dedicate my life to that basic, basic thesis. But there are two things I'm still an activist about. Pro- pro-choice and now the sex worker advocacy. So I, mm-hmm. get, a little, I get a little activist-y with that. And it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's well, interesting, sex worker advocacy, because I think that mainstream people would be surprised that that's really... I mean, I think mainstream... If you ask my parents, sex right. workers and prostitution, it's some bad 70s cop show sure. about some woman who's in yeah. trouble. Right. <laughs> or even, you know, we watched, did you watch uh, Goliath, the Amazon TV show? Well, they shot it right around this neighborhood, so we liked it. But Billy Bob Thornton plays an attorney, and he's got one this woman who works for him who is a, a sex worker. Uh-huh. But she also does work for him and it's a sort of a stereotypical sure. you know she switches from being competent woman who's helping him out to being sort of hot victim I need to be rescued yeah yeah um it's it's interesting to me we do have so many images to pull from when we think about prostitution you know we have pretty woman we have uh best little whorehouse in Texas. We have, like, it's been a part of, I mean, there are whores in ancient Greek plays. Like, they're just been a part of our storytelling repertoire for so long, and yet we're so really dumb about it. Well, because I think most people's experience is just (laughs) watching those things. I feel like it's got to be, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's a pretty small subculture. Like, if I, I remember when I was in my 20s and another comic friend had had an experience with prostitutes in in the San Francisco Bay Area and was kind of describing this is where you go and this is what you mm-hmm. say and this is how it all works out. It was like, you know, how, how do you know what the hell you you're doing? You were wrong about your assumption that uh, prostitution is a small subcategory because that was a small subcategory. So that would sort of be like your experience getting heroin, right? Where it's like, yeah, you've yeah, got to go yeah, and yeah. talk to this guy. And then extrapolating from that of like, well, Drugs are only a small minority subculture, but like every every socioeconomic group, every subculture, every profession has their whores, and the system is different for all of it. You know, like the guys that Wall Street um, is calling are different from oh, the, the guys, the, the that, Heidi Fleiss type you, women, yes, and, then, but, and then the the models, just, the models who fly over to Saudi Arabia for a party weekend. Yes, every every uh, from from that to people trading drugs for sex, like all the way up and down the socioeconomic spectrum, mm-hmm. and in every subcategory of whatever, there are wars. There, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Well, I'm sure it is ubiquitous. My 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 perspective as a person who hasn't been in that world is like, 
where it's invisible to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But that you could say the same thing about the LGBT community 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, we can... Uh, do you want to get back to pie? Or <laughs> yeah, we could talk about pie. We could talk about pie more. Or... We can talk about pie, or we can talk about politics, or gosh, we've done World War Three and... I don't think we've finished completely with World War Three. So what do you... So you don't think it's going to be... I feel like the scary thing now, but this is such a good conversation that you can just go, okay, forget about whores, yep. and now let's talk about drones. Because I feel like drones are such... They're high-tech, but they're not that high-tech. No. And we're going to be living in a world where real soon some dummy is going to, is going to have a drone with a bottle of My gasoline hooked up to it. got a drone for Christmas. Right. But what I'm saying is all these, all these terrorists, yeah. these people that everybody was worried about, they were gonna, they're going to get those Exocet, those shoulder-mounted missiles, and they're going to shoot out a commercial airliner. Yeah. They're, they're going to get a drone, and Just instead of a GoPro, they're going to hook it up to a, a, yeah. a, a bottle of gasoline or, or some kind of wires really that they anything. fly up into the engine of a jet, and it's going to be <coughs> game over. Not that I'm trying to do a terrorist primer, but oh my no, God. It's the, we're going to be, we're heading into a world where if we don't kind of place a higher value on not being an asshole, right. we're going to be in trouble. The only way that I think we could have won this war is if we tried to hold on to the moral the moral high ground if that we the story of america is what could have saved us but mm. we've demonstrated ourselves the thing that separates the united states from other empires that have come before us is these principles and ideas that are nice that we seem to genuinely believe in that we fail to live up to well and but, we don't we don't we for a long time we haven't Based right. our foreign policy on, on, our, on our ethics and ideals. Right. And, that's, and so that's compromised us. But now we're changing our domestic policy. Exactly. Even towards our own citizens. We're treating the war on terrorism like the war on drugs. And it's creating similar problems. Like, it's not that... that look, it, if you kill someone's mom, they're going to hate you for the rest of their life. Period. So, like... Every time we set off a bomb or a drone attack a thing or like whatever, hmm. when you kill people in a community, those people are interconnected to the community. We have a lot of strong feelings about drones from the sky murdering our friends and family and neighbors. And it's crazy to think that, we're, that the people that we're killing, that their friends and family aren't going to hate us for the rest of their life. And then they're, they're, they're terrorist recruit recruiters on the ground who are able to leverage the combination of like economic necessity and lack of opportunity and easily identifiable vitriolic enemy to that you this is we know that we know that how this equation works well and and historic well this is the this is the thing that i'm always trying to make a point about is that we've got this political and pop culture paradigm that we're living in some kind of force-based world that you can you can use force and power to make people do what you want 
But we're really living in a trust-based world. Yes. And you have to convince people to do what you want. And if you don't convince people to do what you want, you can force them to do what you want while you're looking and, and you have a gun pointed at yes. them. But as soon as you turn away, they're going to try and murder you sure. or murder your family or attack you back. Yeah. Or have a fucking little... Yeah, people are difficult to control. Um, they're especially difficult to control now that we have things like the internet. Um, and it's, yeah, I think I, if we've been the freedom of, the willful ineptitude of our like USAID and NGOs and like the, the, like the fact that terrorist organizations are better at building roads, schools, and picking up the trash than some of our organizations. And it's a problem. Like you're looking around your community and you're like, well, Billy Bob here, who is a member of a thing that this, this, these group of people that I don't trust that like bombed my neighborhood for a long time call terrorists are here every day with bread and fucking water. <laughs> well, the good news is that some of the military advisors now who have spent time in Iraq and in Afghanistan mm-hmm. do understand that that is how you run that is how you run a counterinsurgency yes. is that you do try and make those efforts to get you into the trust. community and you build trust. And so that's, that's a saving. The, well, the other thing that I have to say is like, we're trying to do two things simultaneously and it's not working. Like you can't write and edit at the same time with the same part of your brain and you can't be at war with a people and state build at the same time. And this, look, I come from a military family and this is the thing that I believe listening to my dad that like, liberals sitting around a committee aren't I, I think the idea of rules of warfare is ludicrous I, my father believes that if you like you get the media you don't worry about the fucking PR thing you just go you like carpet bomb you like the show of force happens acutely directed and for a short period of time and then you transition to state building we can do that but you can't be like blowing up a school and then like trying to build a thing like, we're, we're doing this weird that the number of metrics the, the, the kind the decision making processes for soldiers has become so corrupted by things that are not war you know that you've heard that joke about the beatings will continue until morale improves yes yeah it's <laughs> I that mean, that's it, that's that what it yes like what we're doing exactly yeah and it's silly um but i I don't know. I'm not compelled by arguments that start from a place of like war crimes or atrocities. I don't think that there is a right and wrong in war. I think there's only what is. And I think that that's something that we ought to be more honest with ourselves and our citizens about if we're going to maintain that, if we're going to try to maintain the hegemony. Like well, that's. I, I think that what we lose, we lose track of what, what our goal is. What's our goal? Right. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you, what do, what do we wish would... And, and then maybe it would occur to us to sometimes think about, hey, what do the terrorists hope would happen? Yeah. What do terrorists hope would happen? Terrorists hope that you're going to close the borders, borders to, to Muslims. all Muslims because it makes them It's easy. a fundraising boon. It makes it easy for them to go, look at these assholes. Yeah. And that's... Anyway. And, that, and I think that is absolutely true. Um, and also the team psychology is predictable. You know, like... And that was one of the big discoveries that I made as, a, as an activist. It was like, oh, I'm working 120 hours a week and, you know, snorting Adderall in order to do payroll and finding the stapler and recruiting people and getting everyone, like, 
fucking fired up in a frenzy. And there's somebody just as smart and just as hardworking and just as dedicated as I am on the other side that's doing the same thing. Like, we're not... It's it's we're playing this game. Whereas I feel like as a comic, I was like, I don't, I just don't want to play. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a soldier in an army. I don't want to be on a team. I just want to, mm. I just want to see. Well, I want to talk about solutions and not arguments because I I went to this uh, neighborhood meeting of there's supposed to be friends to decide how we're going to get through this. Yeah, you're like a member of the community. You have like a house and a wife and a child and like a, like a, you live like a person. Like most comics I hang out with, they don't live like people. Like we're just on we, air mattresses in My New York. advice to them would be try and think about a path. Well, also I'm older. You well, know, yeah. I've been doing this a long time, but you want to try older comics. I'm like, I've been like, there are dudes your age who are still sleeping on air mattresses and mm. unheated rooms. Yeah. I would say try and try and try and vis- try and envision a path right. to, to, to your version of being a grown up. Like right. I go and talk to the other parents at yes. my daughter's school and I interact with friends in the community, but I did, but this was, let's face it. It was at a, was it my friend who directed this, uh, women in film mm-hmm. thing that I did. And anyway, so it's her show, it's show busy a little bit. Sure. People. Got it. And, uh, but there was a real us and them, and we've got to target these seats and get them over to our side. Yeah. And I said, Hey, look, we don't need to connect to more people who agree with us. We're not the Mm-mm. problem. We're not the reason that the world no. is the way it is. The reason the world is the way it is is people who aren't like us or who are similar enough to us who, who just looked at, they looked at Hillary and Donald Trump and they said the opposite of what I said, which is it's obvious to me that this person is not my first choice, but I'm picking right. Hillary because she's the obvious choice. And they said, yes. Donald Trump is not my first choice, but to me, he's sure. a better choice than Hillary Right, but that's how that's how politics works. I'm, I'm telling you that like all of politics is not comics do more to convince people that think differently from them to consider it from their perspective than political activists do. Right. Political activists are not interested in recruiting new members to the choir. They're interested in getting the choir to sing. So like every political campaign, every fundraising campaign, all of it is not a matter of changing hearts and minds. It's about getting people that agree with you to, sh- to, to respond to a call to action, whether that call to action is to donate or to vote. Yeah, but the donation... <coughs> I know. I'm, I've got a little bit of a difference of opinion with my wife on this, but I sort of feel like, look, if, if you're asking me to give you money to give to some lawyer to fight your battle... If it's an I, ACLU lawyer, I'm totally fine with that. ACLU, that's, that's one, a different, that's one we thing. We need it. We fucking but, need but it. But also, they're kind of cowboys, because be yes. careful. <laughs> when you when you support the ACLU, you really do get It's an their, ideological... You get their ideology, and sometimes sure. that fucking They will thing, defend Nazis. I've seen them do it, and it yeah. makes me so proud of them. Because it really is principle over politics. They're not mm-hmm. a team psychology organization. They're like, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And we are fucking moving forward with this. But the so the ASAU is different. But the fundraising, there's a there's a neat trick in psychology that I'm actually depending on with the Kate Comedy Tour, and it's one of the philosophies and principles I'm hoping to build a career from. Is that when we believe that if you believe strongly enough in something, then you'll give it money. I believe, and I've seen, and a lot of political activist organizations believe 
if you give somebody money, you will convince yourself that you really believe in this thing. So like donating $5 a month to the ACLU doesn't really help the ACLU because they spend more money trying to get you to give them more money. But you giving them $5 a month means that you read their fucking emails. Have you ever heard of this? Do you ever listen to Tim Ferriss' podcast? No. It's pretty great. Um, do, you, do you know who Robert Cialdini is? Mm-mm. He wrote a book called Influence, and it's a, it's yeah. a few decades old. But, but it talks about this principle of, you know, once people have stated a belief, yes. they defend it. Yes. And he cites these uh, studies that, you like, for example, at the, at the track, if you bet on a horse, you believe it's going to win way more. more. You believe it's a great idea much more after you place the bet you put the than, money before, down. than beforehand. And, uh, and I'm not finished with the book yet, but I'm on this chapter where he's talking about the Chinese and their treatment of prisoners, and they would get them to, they, they wouldn't torture. We, we learned so much about, you know, this idea that you can torture people, it's not, it's that's not how you do stupid. it. They would, they would have these essay contests, and they would get the prisoners to write essays, and if you won the contest, you got some, a little bit of extra food or something. Doesn't but matter. But yeah. once they would get someone to write, and it would mo- be mostly a pro-American essay, but it would just be like, but I have to admit, for some people, communism may be a good kind of government. Once they could get that toe in, that people would say that just a little bit, then they were on board and they yep. would champion it. Yes. And so uh, you're on solid ground is what I'm saying. I, and, I, and I would recommend, recommend that book. I, I really, that sounds right up my alley. That sounds like the kind of thing that I want to read. I want to recommend to you Debt, A 5,000-Year History. Yes, and I've, I've read that. Oh, oh yeah, that's, yes. that's great. Um, I, I don't know. I think with like the Kate Comedy Tour, we're, it, there's a little bit of fundraising language in there. It's like support DIY artists, um, you know, you want to be supporting women in comedy. You want to. I believe that if we can connect people directly to the artists that they love, that's what artistic freedom looks like. Because now you have an audience that is supporting whatever it is that you want to do. Well, that's interesting because that's the hurdle that I'm on right now. Because I've, I had my big fame mm-hmm. moment where I was the guy who had the hot HBO special and. Did sure. Three pilots for over how many years? That happened before social media for me. Right. And so I'm not connected to those fans. Yeah. And I go on stage and do my show, and people are, it's a pretty good experience that people are having. And then at the end, I say, you know, tw- Twitter and Facebook, and you can sign up for an email list right. and check out my podcast, which then I explain what it is. And I think the way people hear that, uh, uh, in their 40s and older anyway. And, and I think generally people mm-hmm. think, you're trying to connect with me to trick me. And I'm trying yes. to say, look, no. The way the world works now is yeah. if you like something, you need to... To support it. To not even support it, support it. You just need to subscribe to it. Yes. You need to get on the email list. Because... And the same thing is true for political organizations. Because then you'll know when I'm back. Yes. Because I get people coming up to me after shows all the time <clears> saying, hey, we saw you... Like I'm going to yep. uh, every time we saw you 15 years ago in, in Denver, and we thought it was great. Where have you been? And it's like yeah. I've been in this room every year since then. Since then, mm-hmm. you know. But I I do think it's funny where people will try to give me their email address, and they're like, "Reach out to me the next time you're in town." I'm like, I can't remember the booker's name. 
babe, I don't, are you, like, I, this is, you're, I need this, I need this to be the other way around. I need you to follow me. I can't be chasing you. Well, or don't hand me your email address because this, <laughs> I, I mean, and I was doing this for a while, but right. then I have to, I have to go on the website and enter it in. And then you're yep. going to email that says that you subscribed and you have to click that you really meant right. to do that. And by the time you get that, you're going to have forgotten that you did it, and, and also, you're going to click no, and now you've wasted both of it, our time. It not not only is you've forgotten, wasted both of our time, but you're also you're you're getting into a machine that makes you think that I have like people and like I, I don't like there's not there's no in, there's no institution <laughs> yeah. here. I'm it's at the just, very I'm at the center of a very small organization. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just me and my dumb thoughts and. But this is. But I do want to talk to you about that because yeah. after this, because that is something that I'm very interested in. How how do you get that connection with your fans on an ongoing basis? Because to me, the podcast, doing mm-hmm. a podcast, is a way to to meet new people and have yes. an interesting conversation that I really like. But also for me to say to my fans, "Hey, here's somebody that you should check out. Yeah. Here, check out that book. Check yes. check out Five Thousand yes. Years of Debt." And if you're my fan and you saw a comedy show, now now you can feel like you're friends. You're yeah. hanging out at my house. And and I think that like artists, I mean, this is something that I think Doug Stanhope did very well. Um, and you know, and other, other comics have also been awesome. It. Bands do this. Um, mm-hmm. I think the comics should probably be thinking about it more in the way that bands do. Is cultivating the audience that you want, right? So like, rather than twisting yourself in knots in order to perform for the broadest spectrum. Go after the kind of people that you want to get excited about your show. It's the difference between, like, being able. Uh, it, I think it's the difference between like being forgettable versus being the kind of person that inspires somebody to drive a hundred miles out of their way to see you, instead of comedy. If we marketed music the way that they market comedy, come see a music show. You like music, don't you? With well, yeah. no differentiation between experimental jazz and punk and country. It'd be that's, weird. That's funny because I used to say that exact analogy to people. It's a great analogy. I don't know. I, I didn't come up with that. That's that's something that's been percolating through. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. But but so there's that, and then there there is the idea that comedy, just mm-hmm. generic comedy, just you can go to a comedy club, and if you have a decent sense of humor, right? Way more than half of the shows you're going to laugh harder at than you saw a movie. So True. comedy lends itself to yes, that it being sold that way, but. The way that it's kind of gotten down the road with some of the... I'm doing this little mini tour, but these are all conventional comedy yes. clubs, but I'm doing off nights in the tour. Yes. And my thing is, this is your chance. If you want to come and see me, buy a ticket to come and see me. me. I want to do a show for people who want to buy a ticket to go see yes. a comedy show. I don't want to do a show for people who got given a free ticket yes. to go see something that they don't understand. Right. I mean, unless unless you're patient. I mean, I'm not bad-mouthing those people. Sometimes no. those are great audiences. It's a audiences. great way to, to see new, you know, find out what you're excited about. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be able to go to a comedy club and just be like, you know, the, the goal is that there will be a, a human being on stage aiming for laughter. That makes perfect sense. And I think that, that I've performed in lots of comedy clubs and, you know, you... It's not, you know, the Kate Comedy Tour is not inaccessible. And also, if you hate women in comedy, don't come to this tour. Do something. Or if you don't go to comedy clubs because you think that they are misogynistic or whatever, check out the Kate Comedy Tour. So we're aiming for this, like, chunk of the population that I think is under-marketed to 
from traditional comedy clubs mm-hmm. and also we're going to deliver to a traditional comedy club audience like we're we're comics we're not like performance artists <laughs> well and it is it a it's not a feminist like it doesn't have to be feminist it's type material feminist. in the show no i mean, no i don't right. like i don't hold a gun to carrie's head and i'm like you need to be talking about the patriarchy more but like all of us are professional women in comedy and that's an experience we're bringing to the table sure yeah but it's and, and i think that that's something else that's sort of happening with like the social justice warriors and identity politics and, and things that are happening is that um, traditional comedy clubs think of themselves as the mainstream, which has traditionally meant like straight white dudes. And so there's, I think that this DIY sort of punk rock, like music venues or not or whatever. I mean, Patton Oswalt did that. He's a straight white guy, but he's also like diff, like it's, it was a, it's different. It's like, I don't know, something, something different. Yeah, I would be careful with assigning yeah. more motivation and ideology to mainstream comedy clubs than, than there is. I mean, okay. it may look that way, and that may be a, a, a correlation to what they're sure. doing. But I think their behavior is generally money-oriented. They, they, yeah. they want to book shows. They want to hire famous people who they know are going to sell tickets. Yep. Or they want to book shows that that they can somehow pump up, and yep. and your this show, this Cake yeah, Comedy yeah. Tour, fits into that category in a sense because you can describe it as a as a as a marketable yeah. entity with the with the badge on it. If you hook up with us, like we we've been touring for five years as the Pink Collar Comedy Tour, and our model, because of my activism history and the. I just want to do things that I know how to do, right? So I'm like just taking this other skill set and I'm like sort of like trying to force it to make it fit in this thing. Was hooking up with a female-centric charity in whatever town we were going to and Mm -hmm. using them as a piggyback to get word out about the comedy tour. And that was the demographic we were hitting. It's like you're donating... Well, that's the yeah. that's the challenge, and that's what I'm trying to figure out for myself. Is like, what is the other thing that people like besides my show, and how can yes. I create a, a kind of a partnership with them where we're helping each other out? Well, what's like, you know? what's the kind of audience you want to build? Like, who are the kind of people you want to be talking to after shows? Like, who's, what are they? Are they like you? Are they different from you? Are they? One time I did this show in Florida. It was in Tampa. And I'm doing the show, and there's a guy in the front with his date. Mm-hmm. And they were probably in their 40s, and they just looked so not like me, you know. They were, they were white, but it was very trailer parky. Sure. And the guy had, he was missing one of his big front teeth. Got it. Like one of the big front teeth on top. On top. And he's wearing a T-shirt with the sleeves cut, black T-shirt with the sleeves cut off, yellow writing that just says, fuck you. (laughs) And he's sitting right in the center in the front, in front of me. And I'm doing the show and it seems like they're kind of enjoying it and they're kind of, they've got some little interacting things. They come up to me after the show and tell me what great fans they are and how excited they are that I came to this town and how much they loved it. So look, I don't know. I don't know who they are, but that's, that's not who I thought was my fan. I love guys like that, by the way. So like I, 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 again, I grew up in the Bible Belt or whatever and the, the people I hated the most were uh, enforcers of the social order. So in my experience, this is usually like counselors and teachers and like usually women prim and proper who are telling me how unladylike I'm being. And the dudes that I loved 
were the... I don't know, anyone that's got a fuck you, watch this attitude. Even if they're coming at it from an ideological spectrum that's different from me. So like we have neighbors that have like a don't tread on me sticker in their Trump voters mm-hmm. and they're like, they, they're probably racist or whatever, but they, they, <laughs> love, they love my comedy mm-hmm. because well, we're neighbors and they watched me like grow up. And then also they respect the fuck you watch this of comedy in general, which I think is, I don't know, it's cool. Yeah, well, that's my favorite. My favorite thing is to look at, like, sometimes I'll be doing a show. <coughs> I'd rather do shows with younger comics. Yeah. Because I, then I get to see what they're doing, and then I'm getting to show my fans this is something new yeah. that's going on. But I'll be backstage with the younger comics. They'll go, like, oh, this is an old crowd. And I go, they're not that old. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you're in get... your 20s and you look out and you see some six-year-old people and you think, oh, these people are old. And, and I got to say, like, look, these people became my fans when they were 30 years yes. old, you know, or possibly. And so I love a crowd where there's people who are in, yeah. their, in their 50s, 60s, and even 70s. And then there's people tattooed and pierced with weird hair and, you know... I, I just, I love a real mixed crowd that's all about having a good time. And I feel like I've got a subtext in my show, kind of. I mean, I, I hesitate to say it out loud, but, but I feel like I'm trying to, to have a, a subtext of, look, let's tolerate each other and let's yes. listen to each other and let's try. We're all in this together. Yeah. You know, and if... If you're not doing it, you're undoing it. When I was when I was watching your sets last night, I felt like you did a really good job of being like an ambassador to a lifestyle that you you acknowledge was really different than the life. I mean, anyone at a bar at 11 p.m. on a Monday like probably doesn't have like a kid, right? So like, mm. you, but you were an ambassador to this thing where you're like, look, I know you haven't experienced this, but. This is what it is. And I think that that's, I think that that's great. And I try to do that with like sex work and like the kind of lifestyle that I'm leading, which is different, but still accessible because we're all people. And fundamentally, you get deep enough, you get it. Well, and people are really, I think people are curious about people who are different than them more, more than they're afraid or angry Mm -hmm. or opposed to them. They're, they're super interested. I mean, especially in the context of comedy. Because we're not coming at it from a donate to this cause or get on board with my belief system or do blah, 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 blah. Like we're aiming for that visceral, physiological response, like that laughter, mm-hmm. which is this connecting. And it's cool. You know, like if, we, if you can get somebody to laugh at something, you've connected. You've made them understand like we're on the same team in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's, and that's to me why mm-hmm. I still like doing stand-up and why, you know, like we were talking about before with sex work, but mm-hmm. it's that the, there, there's have to and want to in yep. all jobs. And yeah. the more you can focus on the want to and ignore the have to, the, the happier your life is going to be. Yes. And I feel like there was a period in my life where I, I you know, thought that I was going to be Jerry Seinfeld or... Mm-hmm. Ray Romano, or or that's that I was going to have those shows, and the, those are I was this close on so, and and I wound up having a career where I've made most of my money standing in rooms like last night at yeah. the, the Spine Barber Show, where I'm just talking to people who are there. Yes, and at first I would tell people that I really enjoyed it, and it felt like 
maybe to myself, but definitely to people who were listening like it was a rationalization. Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. You're just saying that because you don't have another choice. But now I kind of feel like, look, it's a pretty great, it's a pretty it's a great, great job because, yeah. you know, you're writing it, you're producing it, you're getting instant feedback, you're having yes. this real connection to human being. And I, I enjoy the part after the show where I stand at the table and yeah. sell DVDs and stuff or T-shirts and, and talk, talk to people yeah. and take pictures. And I, I mean, I, it's just, it's pretty great. So I, 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 that, That's the drug I'm addicted to, the, the standing and connecting and like getting a, a room full. I mean, you know, I think comics are all addicted to the same drug. But like, I don't know, I look at, I was talking to, um, I don't want to blow up a spot, but um, a friend of mine who had an experience of opening for Amy Schumer, and he was like, it was 10,000 people, and I, you can't, like, I couldn't connect. Like, I, like, I, like I was, you know, I was doing, I was opening, and, you know, 5,000 of the 10,000 people were still seating, and it was just, like, this crazy, overwhelming mm. thing. And I, and I, you know, looking at, like, the apology that she had to issue after, I don't know, I don't want the, I want, I want freedom. And I feel like there's, there's, like, a, like a, 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 bell curve and a point of diminishing returns where you get so famous and there are so many people making money off of you that the freedom starts to go well, away. Well, you're making money too. You're yes. making money too. Yeah. I mean, and look, would I like to be doing a show in Madison Square Garden and seeing what that's like? Absolutely. But I've done shows for big crowds, opening up for people mm -hmm. or comic relief at Radio City Music Hall mm -hmm. um, whatnot. You know, I think that's the reason that Dave Chappelle did that blind barber show yeah. is because yeah, so the sweet else. spot of doing stand-up is in crowds that are between, you know, 50 and 300 people. Yep. And probably more like right around 200 is, is just a perfect size mm -hmm. because you can feel like you connect and get everybody on board and you're actually going to go someplace mentally. Yeah. And it's, and it's pretty awesome. And so... You know, that's. I feel like that's a lesson that comedians who work for bigger crowds have to learn. It's like, yeah. look, you, what you're doing in the small room is you're learning how the material works and how to say it. And then what you're doing when you go onto that big stage at Madison Square Garden or, or some giant theater is you're going off of a sense memory of how much time to take and what language mm -hmm. to use to deliver that small room experience to that bigger crowd. Yep. And so hopefully they're getting 90% of that small room experience, but you have to realize that you're going to be getting 30% of yeah. that small room experience. And th and that's that's just that's just the the facts of okay. it. Okay. Uh, you know? I love that explanation. The largest crowd I've ever performed in front of was 300 people. So I don't have that experience of mm. like what that what that is. Like yeah, that well, you got to, you you're not on automatic pilot, but you're going on, you're, you're doing your best show the way that you know how to do it, but mm -hmm. it's based on that feeling in that small room of the timing and the language and, and the pausing. And you can even slow down a little bit more in a bigger room, but but you don't want to comment on how it's going. You don't want right, to take, you can't do any of the you don't want to, you don't want to take stuff. any of your Internal opinion monologue. in the moment about how it's going to heart. You want to ignore that. And just go, and I would say generally, if you're listening to this and you're a performer, you're going to come off stage and have people come up to you and tell you how much they enjoyed it. And you won't have felt that while you were on as much. Oh, man, that's weird. I resent that so much when I feel like I didn't do well and people come up 
at me, I feel like I'm being condescended to, and I get like way meaner. I had a thing last night where a guy came up to me, and he was he was so complimentary and nice that I said, "I think are you I fucking, feel like with you're fucking with me right yes. now." Yeah, uh, I have that too. I find that the angriest demographic of audience member for me are dudes that thought they wanted to fuck me until I started talking. That's like the those are the people that feel the need to come up to me and be like, "You're doing life wrong." Yeah, well, I would only the only thing I would say is uh, I ha- I am having a different experience of life where people only want to fuck me after they've heard me talk for a while. That makes perfect sense to me. I make I I get it. So you know, there's ups and downs for both. That is, I think it's a weird difference between male and female performers. I feel like young male like open mic comics have like a like an energy where people just want to leave them alone kind of thing. Whereas, like, young female comics have this energy where people, are like, want to be around. And then I feel like the, the funnier you get as a dude, the more your energy is an attractant. And I feel like the funnier and more successful you get as a female comic, the more there's a repellent. I don't know if it's self-protective or I don't know if it's intimidation or I don't know what it is, but there's something there. Intimidation maybe isn't the right word, but I th- but I think there is a little bit of a fear of mm-hmm. you know not not the, I don't I don't think that guys generally want to dominate or feel superior, but I but I feel like that. I, I said to my wife on her way to work that uh, you know something you need to know about yourself is you're not for everybody, and. <laughs> I'm not for I'm not for everybody. Yeah, I, I feel like on stage I, I, can, I have everyone. an yeah. I have an abro- I have a broad appeal. But in a relationship, I've always said, look, I'm fishing with a pretty exotic bait. Yeah. So if you if you're into it, I'm exactly awesome. what you want. But if you're not into it, that makes you sense can't too. even understand why anyone would right. be into it. Yes. And so. I think that that's a that's a tricky that's a tricky thing. And I think that that's true for for a lot of relationships, and it's one of the things that I really resented about um, my not my upbringing because both of my parents are real individualists. Uh, you know, my mom's a weird pot smoking hippie liberal cunt from New Jersey, and my dad's a did soldier. you say cunt? I did. I called my mom a cunt. Uh, she's 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 great. She's you know she's a pro choice activist. Like she's the youngest of four sisters. She's. No, balls to the wall. She's great, but she she's <laughs> she's from New Jersey, you know. So yeah, like, no, so she's just there's got no, opinions and she says them. Yeah, and there's no she's physically incapable of having a thought without letting it get out of her mouth, and that's not for everyone. And mm, right, yeah. And my dad is different. He's a sort of like Rush Limbaugh conservative, but he's a very dogmatic. Pro- he's also not for everyone. So I was sort of raised with this like, yeah, most people aren't going to like you. That's fine. But I was raised in the South. With teachers and specifically like PE, sex ed, counselor, social people who seemed to be aggressively interested in making specifically girls the most marriageable versions of themselves based on this weird, these weird ideas. And there was, they were like, that was the threat. Like if you have too much sex, no one's going to want to marry you. If you are too opinionated, no one's going to want to marry. Like, no one's going to want to marry you was like the social punishment for being right. too much yourself. It's it's a bad it's a bad idea, but you know, in their defense, they thought they were doing you a favor. Absolutely, you know? everyone does. I didn't think that they woke up with like, how can we psychologically torture a whole generation yeah, yeah. of people? They thought they were doing good, but it it, it it was just an idea where I was just immediately like, I, I. 
I refuse to let this make sense to me. Right, yeah. right. So I wouldn't worry too much about guys who, when they first see you, want to have sex with you, and then after they hear you talk, they don't. I mean, that's just... just making, I'm just not for them. That it's making sense. your job easier. Yeah. Really. I mean, you can't... From a selective perspective. You can't fuck them all. I can't. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You're sort of... Okay, so we've had a... This has been a great conversation. I can't wait till the next time I get to talk to this you. This has been great. Yeah, this, thank yeah. you so much for having me. I well, I'm, I'm so glad that this worked out. Now, so we're going to go eat lunch. Yep. And But first, but first, would you please tell one of two stories? Sure. Either, while you were a sex worker, a story of something that was scary that happened, which is maybe not so fun to tell on the podcast at the end, or... A story of something silly and funny that's a little bit unexpected in that context. Can I can I do both just because? I was uh, going to ask for both. Okay, but I didn't, all right, all right. But where all right. do I get the balls? I do want to say that the only time I have ever feared for my life in bed with a man was with my ex-fiance, who was physically abusive, who choked me out a couple of times and threw me up against walls and was in, there was like a, Oh my God. Was that a thing? Incident. Was that um, part of a thing that you were doing? No, no, no. I've also, yeah. I've since then I've explored BDSM and a, and a, a strange thing I've noticed physiologically. And I talked to other women and I'm not alone in this experience is that if I actually fear for my life, I freeze I, and I can't, I can't move. And the, like, there's a disconnect between what's happening. Like, my brain is telling me to do something, and I just, I go dead to, like, mitigate the violence, frankly. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's a response. That's it, a, happens yes. to, it happens to police officers. Yes. Whereas if I'm playing with somebody I trust in a, a, like a fake rape fantasy scenario or, like, a violence scenario, I feel comfortable enough to fight back. So I, I judged myself for a really long time for not like fighting back, uh, even though I know had I done that, I would have just increased the injury. That's like that's how things work. I would have escalated the violence instead of. Well, and also though, it. also though, there's not a choice. There's not a there's choice. Not a choice. Like there's there. ple- yeah. there's trained police officers <clears throat> right. who die because there's they don't realize their guns on safety and they they just keep squeezing the trigger yeah, instead because, of going click yep. bang. Yeah, because panic. So um, I never had an incident with a client that made me fear for my life. That just wasn't my experience. Clients were on their best behavior and very polite. Sometimes they did things that made me feel like gross about them or me or people. But it was never there was there was never any malicious intent from a client, uh, which I, is which is weird. That I mean, like that's not an unusual experience. I know it seems like it's an unusual experience. It's not unusual to, to not have had workers. that therapy, yeah. that, uh, that uh, For, scary yes. thing happen. Yeah. From a client. That was probably in the context of how you were getting business or the, sure. the, the scale of. Absolutely. There's a screening process, but there's also, you have to understand these men are paying for a fantasy. These men are, generally speaking, like pretty insecure, and they want you to like them. And they want, you know, and you're the professional in the room, and you set the boundaries. And there's, I have, I've never felt more powerful in bed than I did as a as a sex worker. Like all of the the shit where I'm like, what a fucking asshole has all been recreational sex with dudes I was fucking for free. Like all of it. It's like mm-hmm. the worst audience members are the ones that are there for fucking free. You know, you pay fifty dollars for a ticket. 
Good point. On your, you know. Yes, the best. A lot of times those high ticket New Year's Eve shows can be great because uh, people are so committed to having a good time. Yes. This is our one night. We spent so much money. We're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Silly shit. I had one dude uh, who was in the army um, and was trying to have an experience. And he was, he was young. I was young too, but he was young for a client. Like, so he's in his early twenties and he wants to have a threesome experience, uh, which makes sense to me. So he hires two women. He hires me at a price point and he hires another woman at a radically different price point. Right. So, so he only has the budget for one. He only has, he only has like $600. Right. And he spent 400 of it on me. And he spent like one fifty on this other this other client, this other person, which is fine. But we we both show up, and I'm like, oh, you're like a meth addict, (laughs) like the like the other woman I was Mm -hmm. working with. And she was older and very sweet, or whatever. But we but it's just it was just a little bit awkward, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. It's a little bit awkward. And then this poor guy. Because I guess he was trying to solve the problem of coming too quickly. So he had gotten condoms with that numbing jelly agent on them to try to <laughs> mitigate that problem. And then uh-huh. ended up not being able to get an erection because his because he just numbed out his whole genital area. Oh. And in fact, I went seeing the problem... I went down on him with the condom on to try no. to, and then your and mouth gets my numb. entire mouth was like just. So now I like can't even. So now there's like four dollar dollar hooker can't even fucking talk. Like and it was just it was so oh. it was it was just a wall to wall. I felt so bad for him because he clearly the difference between what the fantasy he was trying to create and the experience he had was so vast oh and God. so sad. Oh my God. <laughs> What did he did he kind of have a little bit of like did he just kind of yeah. break down a little yeah yeah there was a little like I don't know what I was expecting anymore but I don't I none none of this is your fault you ladies are sweet <laughs> so it was eventually it was just like okay I guess that's it. It. let's we, all we eventually we you know he put his boxers back on and we like danced around in lingerie and like lay down on the couch and he had the visual of like two women in his arms you know watching mm-hmm. like something you know so we delivered on a couple of moments but it wasn't it wasn't the experience and then wanted. what did the meth uh, lady do <laughs> she she was great but she was just a little bit more like exasperated with him where I was more like I'll go down on you and try to solve this problem or like we can do other things or blah 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 and she just had a little bit of a like Look, it's not my fault if your junk doesn't work. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, well, that's why you pay the extra exactly. money. Exactly. You pay the extra money for somebody yeah. who gives a shit about your good <laughs> the time. The difference between a minimum wage employee and a, you know. Right. If you got a free ticket to the comedy show and you don't like the comedy show. Fuck yourself. You can't complain about it. Yeah. Because it's free. Yeah, exactly. Go back to the bar, which is also free. <laughs> right. And drink To more. sit there. Yeah. yeah. Let some bozo bore your fucking ear off with their dumb story. Let, let some drunkard talk at you and then complain about his material. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. What a good story. <laughs> all right. I want to ask you more questions. I could talk to you all day, but yeah. we have to go eat lunch. That's fine. Let's talk at lunch and we'll just, you know. Okay. Wait. So this is the thing that I always say at the end, so I have to say it now because I always say it. Of course. Ask, and it's uh, don't <laughs> give up. There will be plenty of time to give up later. Yeah. 
Um, thanks for listening and enjoy your whatever you wherever you wherever you are. Whatever you're doing next, whatever's happening next. Yeah, oh. whatever you're doing after this or while you're doing this. If you, I hope you had a great workout. Um, <laughs> And oh, do we plug Twitter or stuff or do you? Yeah, do yeah, that? yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, let's do that. No, oh, yeah, this yeah. is it. We're follow, doing. Yeah. Follow, follow me on Twitter. Uh, my parents spelled my name wrong, so I'm super easy to find. It's K-A-Y-T-L-I-N Bailey, uh, as opposed to any other way that you would spell Caitlin. Caitlin Bailey. K-A-Y-T-L-I-N. Yeah. Caitlin Bailey. And check out the Cake Comedy Tour. CakeComedy.com. And we're also on Twitter at Cake Comedy. C-A-K-E. What? No, 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 you're, you're fucking it all up. Oh, no, no, yes, C-A-K-E. I thought you were spelling my name again. I was like, no, 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 it's a K. No. <laughs> C-A, like, K. You have to follow along a little bit. <laughs> I can't, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, C-A-K-E is how you spell cake. That's how you spell cake. And then if you can't spell comedy, you need... <laughs> and this isn't for you. It, it's, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's not for you. But try cake. Just type in cake and take a shot at comedy. I think you're going to get there. It's probably going to come up. All right, that was good. Now I'm gonna play, now I play the music at the end. And it's, and that's it. Great. This was a lot of fun. <laughs>